Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome back to the show, fellow ridiculous historians. As we remarked earlier, our crew is on the road right now. We wanted to share some classic episodes with you. Shout out to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Also, you're Noel. I'm Ben. Mm -hmm. We've both been to weddings. As a matter of fact, dude, both of us are going to friends' weddings later this year. It's true. Friends do occasionally get married, sometimes to each other. That's always trippy. It happens. Um, but it is an ancient tradition, as we know. And oftentimes, ancient traditions carry with them ritualistic behavior, mm. not necessarily like blood sacrifices. Although, you know, not all the certainly, time, but... certainly the wedding is in and of itself a sort of psychological blood sacrifice. Uh, no, weddings are great. Everyone should be in love. I love that for all of you uh, married <laughs> couples out there. Um, but there are some weird wedding traditions. Some you may be, you know, intimately familiar with, like the old throwing of the bouquet and that weird one with the garter. Never fully understood that one. We may discuss some of those in this episode, but specifically, I think we've all sort of looked askance a bit at that tradition of smashing cake into each other's faces yeah. at weddings. Yeah, man. Like, uh, okay, so uh, full disclosure, I've officiated a number of weddings, uh, and the, the cake thing stood out to both of us. Because, again, we actually, Noel and I actually hang out on the regular pretty often. And we have these moments where one of us says, you know, what's the deal with that? And then I know, man, when we make eye contact and we have like the silent nod, we want to figure it out. So back in 2017, Noel and Casey, and now Max, you're part of this, bro. We asked ourselves, why do people smash cake on each other's faces during weddings. Yeah, why indeed. Uh, we're going to find that out uh, together. Here it goes. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio.
Welcome to the show, friends and neighbors, ladies and gentlemen. You know what that music means. I'm Ben. I'm Nolan. Apparently, it's a nice day for a white wedding. <laughs> yeah, as we speak, uh, given the just the raw numbers, odds are that there are thousands of couples getting married today, hundreds of thousands even. It's very true. It is a popular pastime. <laughs> And, of course, we are joined uh, by our super producer, Casey Pegram, here. And today we are looking at one of uh, the world's most universal traditions, the tradition of matrimony. I like to call it nuptials. Nuptials is cool, too. It just sounds cute. Mm-hmm. And we know whether or not you have been married or uh, whether or not you've actually been to a wedding, it's impossible not to know a little bit about it because it's uh, such a fundamental part of so much fiction. It's in so many films, not just rom-coms. Yeah, but definitely in rom-coms. Definitely, definitely big in rom-coms. So everybody is aware on some level of the, the basic idea that typically it's going to be two people who decide that they're going to uh, in front of uh, members of their society and in the eyes of the law, usually as well. And the Lord. And the Lord, right? Whatever Lord that may be. Precisely. They're, they're going to uh, be an official item till death do they part. To- Unless it's a shotgun wedding. <laughs> Unless it's a shotgun wedding. In which case, you're sort of out of luck. You just got to kind of bite the bullet. Mm-hmm. Or you have to bite the bullet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daddy's bullet. So – At some point, you and I have looked into weird traditions before. Traditions, I want to be fair, traditions that might seem unusual to outsiders. We've looked into this sort of thing before. Tradition! Do you know that? that You've seen The Fiddler on the Roof? I have, a long time ago. All about tradition. In fact, one of the most popular songs from it is the song Tradition. Oh, really? That goes, like, I just sang was that an excerpt or is that the whole thing? That was just my my bit. That's really the only the only <laughs> lyric I, I remember. But uh, there, there's a whole song around it. You guys can uh, check it out in your own time. Yes, please do. And while you are checking things out, you may also run into other strange traditions. We, we're familiar with some wedding traditions like uh, tossing the garter belt. What's that one about? I've always that seems so risque. It's like the person who catches the garter belt traditionally is amongst, like, the male folk or the grooms, uh-huh. and they're going to get married next. What? But then the, and then the bouquet is the female who's going to get married next. Yeah, yeah, at least traditionally. And I know there's some problematic gender norms in there, but sometimes tradition has problems, right? Yeah, and, you know, these uh, traditions range from the, you know, innocuous to the bizarre. And uh, the one we're talking about today, I find... Pretty intensely bizarre because at some point in history, uh, it became a thing for the happy couple to shove wedding cake into each other's face holes. Mm-hmm. To have a, uh, a miniature and intimate food fight in front of everybody else at the wedding because other wedding members don't do this. A ritualistic force feeding. <laughs> yes. And – We do know that um, newlyweds beforehand would feed the first slice of wedding cake to one another, and it was a symbol of their commitment, right, to provide for one another. And this comes from Rachel Sylvester, uh, Associate Real Weddings Editor with The Knot. However, says Sylvester, the symbolism's often lost, and it's been replaced 
increasingly now with this tradition that Noel just described. There is a fantastic Dear Abby letter from June of 2011 where uh, Faithful writes into Abby and says, Dear Abby, I'm writing you about a disgusting, rude, and obscene habit. The bride and groom shoving wedding cake into each other's faces. How rude and insensitive to the person he or she just promised to love, honor, and cherish. Not to mention disrespectful. What do you think of this custom? And Dear Abby has, so okay, so no mincing words on Faithful's part. And Dear Abby seems to agree, uh, saying, Dear Faithful, the custom should have been retired at least 50 years ago. The significance of this quote-unquote ritual is demeaning to women. Right, because, Dear Abby says, according to Curious Customs by Tad Tuleha, the cake cutting at modern weddings is a four-step comedic ritual that sustains masculine prerogatives in the very act of supposedly subverting them. So Abby goes on, in the first step of the comedy, the groom helps direct the hand of the bride in a symbolic demonstration of male control that was unnecessary in the days of more tractable women. Uh, And what I love about this is it really pushes home the kind of inherent uh, misogyny in this. It's a little bit of a stretch to me, but I'm going to go with it. I think it's interesting. So the female, the bride, she accepts this gesture. And according to Abby, this serves as further proof of her submissiveness. And then performing the second step of the ritual, which seems to be a twist where she offers him the first bite of cake. But then playfully in the third step, she subverts this trope by shoving it in his face playfully, right? Um, And then Abby goes on that this act of revolt is performed in a childish fashion, and the groom is able to endure it without losing face because it ironically demonstrates his superiority. His bride is an imp needing supervision. And the idea here is that the the bride is being infantilized to a degree. I, I would I would tend to describe this argument as based in in patriarchy, even more so than than misogyny. But they're both present there if if you believe this. And the idea here is almost it's depicted at least in this quotation as. Uh, a ritualistic theater of sorts, as a um, a play almost, and uh, with clear beats to the story. And then the bride has apologetically wiped clean the groom's face and is now obedient to his dignified, somehow inherently wiser self. So you have to wonder how far back does this go? We know in ancient Rome, the bride could expect to conclude festivities by having a barley cake smashed upside her head. So in this case, back in Rome, it was the bride who got cake smashed. Yeah. And then I found this uh, this great Smithsonian article that that, that details some other uh, early uh, cake traditions. And it says that in medieval England, the bride and groom would uh, kiss each other on top of a pile of buns, and this act uh, was meant to demonstrate and ensure even their prosperity uh, in the years to come. But there's another weird part about that one. Yeah, there sure is. Uh, <laughs> the unmarried guests, a lot of these uh, things seem to be for the unmarried guests uh, in general with the garter and the bouquet and the whole taking home a piece of cake. Because in this ritual, the guests would sometimes take a little piece as a souvenir of this cake that they would tuck under their pillow like uh, the tooth fairy. 
despite the fact uh, that they were very well aware of all the things that happened to it. And as it turns out, this particular uh, recipe in these early British traditions was something called bride's pie, P-Y-E, which mixed something called coxcombs, which I believe is the frill, the little hand-looking thing on top of a, of a, of a, of a male chicken, uh, mixed that with lamb testicles, uh, sweetbreads, which if, uh, for my money, I quite enjoy sweetbreads if they're prepared well, oysters, which are also good, and a lot of spices. And then there was another version of this recipe that included boiled calf's feet. And this did change in the uh, 16th century. Oh, I, I want to not forget another note about Rome there. Uh, in ancient Rome, it's also argued that this tradition of barley caking was – which I have just made a verb. I like it. Oh, thanks, man. Um, this tradition of uh, barley caking was also done to symbolize male dominance and to encourage fertility. And this practice stayed with us today. When did things change we can date it to around the mid-16th century because sugar was becoming more plentiful and affordable in England. Yeah, and sugar became a really important ingredient in cakes, not only because it tastes way better than lamb's testicles, one would assume, but also it symbolized uh, the purity and virginity of the uh, the bride-to-be. And also, it was a serious status symbol, right, Ben? Yeah, it was absolutely a serious status symbol because it goes back to the color of it as well as the show of wealth and opulence for the wedding party and the wedding goers. Look at this tremendous cake. And even now we see this. I believe it was during uh, Princess Diana's wedding that the cake was five feet tall and they had a stunt double cake in case something happened to the first one. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and wedding cakes are big business uh, these days. You know, all the, you know, the wedding reality shows cake and the boss. cooking shows and Cake Boss and all of the fondant and, and the different versions of these mm-hmm. absurd cakes that you can get in all kinds of shapes and sizes. They can be, you know, like a race car or a, uh, a volcano that spews forth uh, lava even or, you know, something like your, your favorite sports car perhaps mm-hmm. or if you're, you know, having a star Wars wedding, it could be a a scale model of Tatooine. And one person doubled down, right? We read about a, uh, we read about one bride who had a full-size replica of herself is the cake, which to me is weird. Uh, It's a little vain. Maybe. <laughs> we, you know, uh, it's very eat of my flesh. Typically, you have the tiny bride and groom as the topper of the cake, but that's that's a real stretch to have an entire cake that appears uh, to be a, a, a facsimile of just one uh, member of the uh, the wedding party. Well, if both the the bride and her spouse are into it, then it's it's their call. I would just personally feel kind of weird eating it. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And in the Smithsonian article by Abigail Tucker. She also talks about how as a cost-saving measure, uh, and I had never heard of this before, but I think this is pretty smart because obviously this big, giant, showy Mm -hmm. cake is less about a delicious, delectable treat and more about a show of opulence. But you could actually get a kind of a dummy cake that's made of styrofoam that has a single uh, kind of decoy piece of cake that you can cut out and use for the uh, ceremony. And then the guests just get, you know, a regular old uh, Walmart sheet cake or or what have you. Right, right, which does make sense. And the problem with a styrofoam cake is, you know, you have to be very careful about how you do the cake smashing thing if you choose to do it. You got to pick the one real slice. And it's tough for us to, us being human beings, not just Casey, Noel, and I, it's tough for us to collectively figure out exactly when this cake serving thing became a cake smashing thing. We know it's been around for several decades, but probably not several centuries in this current form. We just know there was stuff like it. And we've walked through the uh, perspective that this is in some ways a, a folkloric drama, right, acted out. But most people according to experts, are probably unaware of what this ritual is supposed to signify, seeing it either as a fun riff on cake cutting, you know, because everybody wants their wedding to be fun, right? Everybody has, like, a little goofy joke of some sort at some point, and they're like, oh, let's play this as our first song. Or they think it's a silly custom that just needs to go away. And well, it, It's levity, right? It adds yeah. a little fun, a little uh, lighthearted uh, lark to the proceedings. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've been at weddings where people do that, but it doesn't ever seem to be uh, a squabble. You know, it, it just seems to be like they're both You know, we've had to be serious for a little while. And then, as you said, let's have some levity. But it turns out, Noel, uh, that, again, according to Sylvester, this cake-smashing tradition is in decline. 
I can see why. I mean, it's gross. It's a wedding. <laughs> it's not like an episode of Double Dare, you know? And, and you're mean, not wearing smocks. No. no. Although I will say I found a, a great page um, with a, a whole bunch of different photos of, of various uh, of versions of this. And, and it goes from, you know, uh, a bride and groom with their hands in each other's faces, literally rubbing the cake in, to one being a little more aggressive than the other. Ooh. I've got one here where the, the bride is, is pretty much pouncing on the groom and just shoving this face. And then I've got another one where the, the groom is actually wearing a garbage bag, which uh, seemed like uh, probably the, the smart move, um, you know, just to save that tuxedo. Those things are not cheap. Right. No kidding. And you know what else I found? This is an unsubstantiated thing, but it, apparently it's a pretty widespread rumor. People believe with, again, no solid proof that couples who do the wedding cake smashing thing are more likely to be divorced later in life. Well, as it turns out, Ben, I can speak to that. I am, in fact, divorced. I am what they call a divorcee. As am I. Yes, but I did not do the cake smashing, so. And we did not marry each other. This is true. Just for the record. We're just pals. We're just buddies. But the- uh, We're work wives, kind of. <laughs> we do hang out a lot. We're hanging out after this as well. Uh, so- I, I was in a one-way cake smashing thing. I just, uh, the person I married, she just smashed the cake against my face. And I thought it was funny, mm. you know. But you're a good sport. Thanks, man. I, I try to be. Also, it did, it did get all over the tux, but that made it funnier. And there's more risky business, uh, according to the wedding experts, uh, when you talk about cake smashing. First, cake fans are, are champing at the bit to point out, it is a waste of good cake. Yeah, no joke. I mean, some of these absurdly fancy cakes can uh, equal somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12 to 13 bucks a slice. And even just like an average kind of run-of-the-mill wedding cake could be at least two or three bucks a slice. And, you know, I'm not one to waste good cake, Ben. You know me <laughs> to be a fan of pastry. And I just feel like this is a tradition that needs to go the way of the brontosaur. <laughs> you think so? Yes. Uh, so you say nay to cake wasters, huh? Yeah, I have a real problem with them. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's interesting that even in the modern day, some people see it as just all in good fun, and then other people see it as disrespectful and demeaning. And the tradition seems to evolve uh, somewhat organically. You know, there wasn't a there wasn't an article in Vanity Fair or some sort of etiquette guide to weddings that said, "And at this point, the bride shall stuff her groom's face with cake, rubbing it hither and fro, and or thither, <laughs> and or thither." Uh, you know what this also made me think of? The world is is full of these very specific wedding traditions, you know? And I, I found just a couple, if you want a laundry list. I want to hear what you think of these. Sure, shoot. So in Uyghur culture in China, grooms shoot their future bride with a bow and arrow, minus the arrowheads, three times. And then what, they— wait, what are the, what, What's on the tip of the arrow? Just— it's just the shaft, like I guess. a suction cup. That would still hurt, though. <laughs> One would hope. Then they break the arrows to ensure that the couple stays in love forever. See, I, I think I would prefer the cake smashing to getting shot with a projectile. I mean, yeah, that, that, you could put an eye out with one of those, man. <laughs> right. And here's another one that I thought. This is one that would be the line for me. And, you know, I really appreciated when you said that I was, in general, a good sport. I don't know if I could go with this one. In Scotland, there's something called the blackening of the bride. Have you heard of this? Go on. So, traditionally, Scottish brides-to-be are are taken by surprise. Their friends kind of jump them, and they pelt them with stuff like curdled milk, dead fish, spoiled food, tar, and feathers. And then they're tied to a tree, and then after that, they go out for a night of drinking. And the idea here, the belief is that if the bride can withstand that kind of treatment, she can handle anything that comes her way in marriage. Can we just skip to the drinking? I mean, yeah, I don't, Lord. I don't understand. That's like some serious, <laughs> like, military hazing type stuff there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. When we're talking, you know, it came to mind when we were talking about the cultural implications, right, of smashing cake on someone and we've seen how it could become aggressive, but I don't think that has anything on this throwing trash at people and tying them to trees. No, that is not on, my friend, not on one bit. Okay, just a just a couple more of these. If it, it, I want to gauge you on this and see which ones you think are, like, understandable. Gauge me up. All right. So in Mauritania, girls aged between 5 and 15 are sent to fat farms before their wedding to pile on the pounds uh, because— 
it's also seen as a status symbol. It's mm-hmm. seen as a signal that the, the groom is wealthy enough to keep the bride satisfied in a very physical way. Yeah. And then in another part of China, brides of the Tujia people are required to cry for an hour a day every day for the month before their wedding. Well, that's, that's just like how I live. <laughs> gets- I, I have my daily cry. Sometimes yeah. it lasts longer than an hour, though. It just depends. Is it like meditative? Or? No. You don't plan it? No. It just, <laughs> it, just, it just comes upon me. Well, if you were doing this in preparation for a wedding, 10 days before the wedding, your mother would join you. The mother joins the bride, and they cry together, and then the grandmother joins as well. Yeah, I cry with my mom, too, at least one day out of the week. Well, you know, I mean, whatever it takes, man. Yeah, nothing, nothing like a good uh, phone cry with your mom. Just to, you know, uh, we went and saw the movie Coco the other week, and we uh, cried in tandem um, during that film with my eight-year-old daughter, who also cried. So it was a three-way cry. Cathartic, huh? It really was. Is that a uh, Pixar film? Oh, boy, was it ever. The Pixar cry. That <laughs> yeah. is where it's at. I have some friends who refuse to watch Pixar because they feel that it's emotionally manipulated. It is a little <laughs> bit, but I, you know, <laughs> bend me, break me, Pixar, it's fine. Yeah, they're fantastic stories, honestly. Here's another weird story, and I guess this can be the last unusual tradition. And by the way, Noel and I are not dinging any of these. They're just strange, and they weren't news to us. Uh, Newlyweds in France for a while were forced to drink leftovers from their wedding out of a toilet bowl. Nowadays— What kind of leftovers? (laughs) Stuff? Food from the wedding? Yeah. Noel's making a a, a very distasteful sneer. Yeah, I agree with you there, man. Nowadays, thankfully, chocolate and champagne are reputedly used as a substitute, but still served out of a toilet. Okay, then. Viva la France. I think we have run the gamut of (laughs) of odd wedding customs in today's uh, ridiculous history nugget. Uh, A little bit of a shorter one, so I think we're going to wrap up today with a couple of really cool, fun listener mails. Our first listener mail today comes from um, Michelle, and the subject is Butter Episode. And she goes, I know I'm late to the party with responding to this episode, but I can't leave my feedback unsaid. I love the Butter Podcast. It was so interesting that this had such a huge effect on how we practice religion and spirituality and how that has evolved. However, I think you guys missed a critical point with Butter itself, which is important in crafting the lens through which you view the issue. You refer to Butter as a spread, a seasoning, and a stir-fry agent. If this is all Butter is, then by nature, it's a luxury and not a necessity. Also, really? Stir-fry in medieval Europe? Look— I wasn't saying stir-fry as we know. I just meant, you know, (laughs) cooking different ingredients with some sort of cooking agent and combining them. Surely that was a thing, like a stew, right? Come on. I don't know. I hear you, Michelle, though. You got me. Ding. Um, noted. But she goes on, however, the piece you missed is that fat is a crucial ingredient in making bread, which even your vegan monks would have been eating. Bread was the main dietary staple of the time in most of the world. Peasants would not have been able to survive without bread because of, as you mentioned, of the scarcity of food in that part of the world. So these people without butter, the only fat available to them, would have to choose between their family starvation and their immortal soul. I think this changes the lens fundamentally. You know, I'm tempted to agree, and I really appreciate you pointing that out, Michelle. We've been getting a lot of feedback about the butter episode in particular. Yeah, most of it quite good. And this one, you know, she's not being mean. She's got a really good point. We definitely mentioned bread, but I don't think we um, gave it the weight that it probably deserved. So, Michelle, duly noted, and thank you for writing in and listening to the show. And no spoilers, but uh, stay tuned, bread fans. 
<laughs> so uh, we have one more listener mail for today, and it pertains to our Antarctica episode. Sarah P. writes in to say, uh, Ben and Noel and super producer Casey, I found your podcast yesterday and have quickly gone through every episode, thoroughly enjoying it, as well as your uh, thoughts on whether or not to start a Pinterest account. Sarah, side note here, you'll be glad to know that we have a meeting about it every week. I really enjoyed all of them, says Sarah, and had a question to ask. In regards to the episode about who would have jurisdiction on a case in Antarctica if an incident occurs on a country base that is not the same country as the persons involved, my initial reaction was why not have Interpol take care of the incident? Granted, I am not by any means an expert on the organization, but I feel as an organization that routinely assists multiple nations, they would be the perfect organization to assist a continent that no nation can claim. Whether as a mediator between two countries or as the lead in an investigation, they could be a useful asset on Antarctica. On a side note, as a Philly girl, I must recommend that if you want a good Philly cheesesteak, you have to go to Jim's on South Street. They have the best no matter what anyone may say, shots fired. I'm sure that's a serious point of contention in <laughs> Philly as to who has the, the best cheesesteak, and I'm sure there are many varying opinions on it. But I am all about trying Nick's if we ever make it to the city of brotherly love. Let's go. Let's take ridiculous history on the road. Do a live show sponsored by just the idea of Philly cheesesteaks. I am all about it. And thanks so much for writing in, Michelle and Sarah. And we hope that you will write in to us too at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. We're still plugging away at that Pinterest vision board, getting there. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to debut it when the time is right. Mm-hmm. We're taking a Heinz 57 approach to it. Good things come to those who debate Pinterest boards. I love it. But you can also find us in the meantime on various other internet platforms. We have a Twitter now. Yes, we do have a Twitter account now. We're going legit, my man. Man, it's a brave new world. And we also have an Instagram and a Facebook. You can find Noel and I on several other shows. But as it turns out, we have a lot of things cooking here. And we have some new How Stuff Works shows coming out now. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know um, our buddy Ken Jennings of Jeopardy fame. I think he's the w- the winningest uh, Jeopardy contestant. Mm-hmm. And I think he only was finally dethroned by the, uh, the notorious Watson uh, computer that, that bested him. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard to, uh, to fight back against our robot overlord. So I still love you, Ken. And Ken and his buddy John Roderick, who is in a real cool band called The Long Winters, have a new show that will be available anywhere you get your podcasts um, by the time you hear this episode called Omnibus, where they, uh, the whole concept is they're podcasting from the present for the people of the distant future, um, given some sort of uh, monumental catastrophe that would decimate our society. And they want to preserve all kinds of weird, esoteric bits of knowledge and curio and do so uh, with a plum. And they're quite funny and uh, charming, and it's got kind of a fun sci-fi quality to it. Uh, I actually was lucky enough I got to do all the music for it and the sound design. So give Omnibus a listen uh, whenever you get a chance. And uh, write to them. Tell them uh, Ben and Noel sent you. Maybe that'll, you know, will that give them some cred or will that be a ding? I don't know. I think we might need to get cred from them because this show's going to be a hit. <laughs> yes, agreed. And while you're looking for Omnibus, of course, we want to end on the question. Please write to us. Let us know what strange wedding traditions you have encountered or taken part in. And most importantly, join us next time for another episode of Ridiculous History. Goodbye, everyone. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.